Hi, and welcome back to the Replatform Podcast. Thanks, as always, for tuning in. Uh, it's myself, James, and Paul is today joining me as co-host. How are you doing, mate? Yeah, good, thanks. How are you doing? I'm good. It's Friday. We were just discussing this uh, earlier. It's a happy day, even though it's pouring with rain outside. So let, let's set the scene, and then we'll introduce our fantastic guests for today. The topic today is managing returns for e-commerce fashion brands, issues, impact, and solutions. So there's a mouthful for you on a Friday morning. Um, and we are joined today by Sarah Karanasha and Astrid Lede from TrueFit. So in a minute, they'll, they'll give a bit more of an introduction to TrueFit and who they are and what their roles are. But the reason why this is such an important topic is there always seems to be so much going on in the fashion industry. Yeah, from an e-commerce point of view, we've had the glitz of like interactive mirrors, passing of sessions with things like beacons for Omnichannel. We've now got live streaming, live shopping. There's so much that people get excited about. And along overdue focus on things like sustainability and the environment. But amidst all the chop and change and new trends, there's several constants. And one of those is the fact that fashion businesses face a major challenge with returns. There are high returns rates compared with other verticals. Returns impact business operationally, it costs, it can impact profitability. And there's always a battle to find ways to sensibly reduce returns through better customer experience and better use of technology to help consumers and company. So with that in mind, we thought, well, who better speak to than the experts? So we're speaking to uh, a couple of guests today with, with really interesting backgrounds in the industry. I'll let them introduce themselves. So very warm welcome, uh, Sarah and Astrid. Morning. Hi. Great to be here. Yeah, thanks for joining us. And Astrid, you'll join us from France. Say, so how's France? Yes, France is doing well. It's actually pretty cloudy today, but hopefully it should get sunnier later. Um, yeah. France is doing good. <laughs> oh, you're joining us in cloudy sympathy today. Thank you. Um, so, look, could, I don't know who wants to go first. Can you introduce yourselves to our listeners? Like, what do you do? Give us a bit of a flavour of truth. I know quite a few people have known of it. Some might have worked with it. Others, it will be new to them. Uh, yeah, so um, my name is Sarah Curran Usher. Um, I started working with Truefit uh, in uh, early 2020, my background historically has been within the retail sector itself. So I'm a retailer at heart. I've lived and breathed the pain um, of uh, running um, an econ business and understanding returns and optimizing customer loyalty and retention, etc. When I started to talk to Truefit, I was introduced to a product which I knew for me would have solved so many of my questions. So it became a bit of a no-brainer. So I joined as MD for EMEA um, and I overlook the business development. So working with brand partners and through to client success. So when we go live and uh, working with Astrid and the client success team, um, with regards to you know business reviews and and how um, how we're supporting our partners uh, to the best of our ability. So that's me. Um, and hi, so I'm Astrid Lide. I'm principal success uh, manager at Truefit, uh, where I work with European brands so like Bash or Claude Dipielo or the Printemps Group in France, but also UK retailers like Bowden. Um, and I partner with those teams to support their objectives through our product. So we look together at the data and the KPIs that we want to hit, of course. Um, and we also extract and analyze customer insights to support this strategy, which I think is really great. Lovely. Um, so I'll ask the first question. So can you uh, maybe together give us the elevator pitch for Truefit and just give us a bit of an overview on the product and the types of retailers you work with? Yeah. 
So um, Truefit is um, a North American uh, business um, positioned within size and fit personalization, focused on fashion, apparel and footwear. We were the first size and fit product to launch in 2005. And since then, we've gathered the world's largest data set for fashion, apparel and footwear. So we work with global retailers and brands um, and really look to remove the headache for retailers uh, with regards to solving for size and fit. But then also we support the shopper, the customer in terms of finding their correct size. We know that size and fit and size consistency has been an issue for fashion for many, many years. Um, and so our aim is to support the customer by normalizing um, and essentially translating the brand's uh, sizing structure to their own size. Great, that makes sense. Um, and I guess, can you just give us a bit of an insight into some of the trends that you've seen through the pandemic in the kind of verticals that you cover, particularly fashion? Yeah, I mean, gosh, talk about um, a whirlwind that the retail industry has had. Essentially, we saw, you know, this incredible stat of 10 years of digital acceleration from shoppers in the space of about three months. And when the pandemic hit, um, retail stores were shut from March onwards. Uh, so omnichannel retailers and brands with historically strong high street revenues um, who weren't necessarily advanced enough through their digital transformation really felt the pain and started to therefore play catch up. Um, the customers who were once strong in-store shoppers essentially started to really adjust um, their shopping and their behaviour and move towards the convenience of online shopping. And that 40 plus customer demographic have really changed their behaviors. Um, not only were we dealing with the perfect storm relating to Brexit and supply chain, we've been dealing with the pandemic and the seismic shifts in terms of consumer behaviors and the decline of the high street, and also an ever more demanding customer who has expectations in terms of a customer experience, which has been more advanced than the e-com platform's current experience. And on top of that, you know, we're in an extremely competitive environment. So not wishing to bring the downer, you know, I'm just sort of giving you a, a sort of putting on the on the table the, um, the issues that the industry has been really facing into. And it really came all together in one um, in one period. And um, and yeah, it's, uh, you know, retail is is an extremely, um, I guess, we're very uh, in line with consumer impacts, be it through recessions or changes to consumers' um, shopping habits. But, you know, I don't think we've ever experienced anything quite like this. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a nice kind of summary, isn't it? It's uh, it's unprecedented for a lot for for most people in business in e-commerce to experience that rate of change. Uh, with that with that market context, a key question that got us around returns because returns is a big challenge for fashion retailers. It always has been, um, but as competition increases and as business pressure increases, then actually the impact of returns can can be amplified. What from your experience? What causes high returns rate? And can you just give people a few examples of like what, what are average returns rates? Um, so as Sarah was mentioning, since the pandemic, we've seen a major shift um, and not only in purchasing behavior, but also in returning behavior. 
So free returns are not the norm across the industry. Return windows are longer. Um, and returning items has just been increasingly easier for customers. We can take the example of free home collecting services. People don't even have to leave the house anymore to send back an item. Um, we've also seen a rapid increase of new payment facilities like buy now, pay later, or pay only for the items that you keep based on the German model. So these new practices have fundamentally changed with the way that customers interact with retailers and make purchasing decisions. And that has allowed customers to approach online shopping more as a discovery of styles and fits rather than an end of their shopping journey. Um, but unfortunately, one consequence of this is the increase in return rates that it's experienced across the industry. Um, now to you, the second part of your questions about average return rates. There's no hard and fast number when it comes to an average return rate. Um, there are so many determining factors. It's impacted by price. It's impacted by the consistency of sizing across brands by country. Um, it's also impacted by whether it's relaxed sports gear or a fitted dress, or even to an extent by whether it's for gifting. Um, and it's also impossible really to put an average down because fashion products such as clothes and shoes and, and other things are more linked to the fancy desires of the consumers um, who demand a higher satisfaction than for products that are just needs-based. Um, and actually, looking back on the consistency of sizing, we've known that the industry has had size consistency issues for many years. The difference pre-pandemic was that when the customer was able to go into the changing room to try on an item, the impact was never fully felt. Um, but now the customer's home is their changing room. And if your range has size consistency issues and comes a big or small, then you have a problem. Yeah, I, I knew that asking average returns was a uh, was one of those impossible to answer, which is, you know, it's good. The, the advice is really sensible that it varies um, and it does vary wildly. I've, I've worked with people who've had returns rates of around 10%, others who've had 40%. And it's, um, yeah, un understanding those nuances is very important. It leads me on to another question, actually which I know you'll, you'll both have a lot of experience working with different businesses on, is what impact does returns have operationally? Uh, it's two bits. What does it have operationally? And then what does it have on customer satisfaction? Yeah, sure. So um, <clears throat> 2020 really has been about online shopping um, and retailers have therefore really felt the pain from an operational cost perspective. So if you think every time an item is returned and that item has to be repurposed or reprocessed back into stock, potentially see, steamed um, or, you know, checked if the item's been worn or potentially even remarketed, et cetera. You are eating into your margin. It's a total headache. But I believe that many brands and in brand retailers need to start kind of looking at uh, the problem from the beginning and sorting out their sizing issues and stop putting the problem back at the feet of the consumers and the customers to deal with, uh, because it only comes back to hurt them later. And let's also, to your second point, not forget that this leaves the customer with a really negative experience. One stat that 
kind of totally blew my mind last year was that 94% of customers who shopped at a new brand for the first time did not return, i.e. did not come back and shop again. So what we find at TrueFit is that we tend to convert normal shoppers into Uber shoppers. We find that TrueFit adopters or rather um, customers who use the TrueFit recommendation tend to buy more. So they come back more frequently and they become loyal and engaged shoppers. So that's um, a real positive in terms of how retailers can remove the headache from the feet of the consumer and the shopper to sort out. Because ultimately, now the customer knows uh, what good service is. And having just a size and fit tool that gives a generalized sizing recommendation and not a one-to-one personalized recommendation is no longer good enough from a customer's perspective. So you might make it um, easy for yourself, but actually you're creating a problem because you're not creating loyal shoppers. And ultimately, you're going to be hurting your operational margin and potentially also hurting your ability to uh, sell at full price. That makes sense. Um, and beyond kind of sizing, I guess, um, what other practical tips do you have for e-commerce businesses to reduce their returns rate? And a bit of a sub-question that James has put as a note, um, what is your view on the buy now, pay later solutions and some of the kind of technology partners around that on returns? Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, look, manufacturing for consistency um, it really starts at the beginning with sizing blocks and um, your sizing specifications and guiding the customer really through um, copy guidance of the product description page um, as to you know whether a product is true to si- true to size or not. So there's, there's kind of lots of elements that are cust- that the retailers can can do in terms of light touch, but also you know then going more into um, into sort of detailed one to one recommendations. Um, The other thing um, is the uh, overproduction of imagery and studio photography um, creates an incorrect image of the item. So get your teams to deep dive and understand where those culprits are hiding um, in your range. I recall living and breathing the pain of trying to solve um, for returns and sizing issues when um, I uh, built the two multi-brand retailing um, platforms. And we tried everything from measuring each size of garment, which was hugely labor intensive, um, and also writing in the editorial copy where the item, whether the item comes up big or small. Um, in order to really solve the problem, you have to go to the source of the issue and you have to support your customer to get a true personalized experience and not a generalized sizing guide and a sliding scale recommend recommendation, but really a true one-to-one recommendation. So this, as I said before, is no longer a, a nice to have. It's expected from the customer's perspective. Um, but also it's important to flag the industry's obsession with Photoshop. We are creating an issue in terms of potential spikes in returns uh, from a true likeness perspective. The more the image is altered in post-production from a studio or a shoot, the more disappointed the customer is going to be. Um, and, you know, the potential for higher returns due to the item doesn't look like it did online will will cause further issues. We can always support retailers and brands when it comes to size and fit related issues. We can't support retailers and brands when it comes to a product which 
is not has has no real true likeness when the customer receives it. And we've seen that a lot in um in sort of customer feedback when uh you know and sort of um funny TikTok posts um with regards to the item that they thought they were buying versus the item that they actually received. Going to your second point about the buy now pay later sort of options, it's a really interesting, and I and having worked at the Very Group, which um, is a retailer as well as a lender, you know, it kind of also gave me a, a sort of a bit of a unique lens in the sense that when you have a customer who has a, a who is using um, a credit option for payment, be it the Klarna model or the, the Take Three model or Buy Now Pay Later sort of more extended model. Essentially, if your customer is using that credit to purchase um, two sizes of the same item because they're not sure what the what their their correct sizing is, essentially you are you're sort of um, you're reducing the ability of the customer to buy two separate um, items uh, at full price, and therefore you know you're increasing the um, the true AOV. So I I sort of feel that, you know, the the buy now, pay later model is a way for some customers to um, support their discretionary uh, income and their ability to to buy into fashion uh, more frequently um, or more in depth. So use it as a positive and and not a negative, but also drive efficiency in that spend. So don't don't sort of um, hinder the customer by uh, not allowing them to really be able to shop more items in their basket. That makes sense. And uh, some of those initially, oh, sorry, Astrid, go on. Oh, sorry. I was just going to follow up on what Sarah was saying about the um, buy now, pay later model. Uh, I think that's one thing that is important as well is that as we have evolved into the way that we purchase and the way that we return, and as, you know, most most purchases on our online now, I think that it's important also to, to look at returns in a way that they are not all bad. And if a model like the buy now, pay later can allow customers to buy, as Sarah was saying, more items so that maybe, yes, they're not going to keep them all, but they have that, that same way of trying those items at home, the same way that they were usually going to do it in a shop. Um, that then allows them to connect with the brands, to connect with the clothes and to, to feel the product and to feel how, how those designs fit on them. And that is something that unless you can go into uh, into a store and, and try tons of items in the changing room, that's something that is missing, especially as um, as a consumer, when you're discovering new brands, I think it's really important to, to keep that in mind that not all returns are, are bad. And if that model can allow that, then that's ultimately a great thing. Great. Yeah, some really good practical advice. Um, and next question. So you work with lots of brands and you've mentioned a few of the really big ones um, earlier. Can you talk us through a few examples of where TrueFit's had a really positive impact on the business? Uh, maybe obviously around returns, but any other kind of uh, metrics or KPIs that you would typically be judging? Yeah. Um, one thing to understand as well is that even with full returns data, it's difficult to isolate the factors driving any given returns. Um, reason codes are not always filled in truthfully. They can also hide a buyer's remorse behavior. Uh, returns windows are inconsistent, gifting changes the return history, 
And as Sarah mentioned, other factors such as the fabrication, the photography and post-production, all of these play a role. So we choose to focus on signals that we can provide. And one is the size sampling behavior, which is the one of the most direct correlations to fit-related returns. So size sampling is when a customer orders the same product in multiple sizes with the intent to return what doesn't fit. So to minimize this behavior, a few of our retail partners have used AI to identify size sampling behaviors. So when a shopper placed multiple sizes of the same item into his or her basket, a change in the UX prompts the customer to use TrueFit to then get their recommended size. And with this, we've seen great results. Um, I'm going to take the example of Moose Jaw in the US. Um, almost 15% of their returns were due to size sampling. And after implementing this AI feature, they saw a 24% reduction in the size sampling rate over a one-year period. They've also seen a reduction in sequential size sampling. So that's when a shopper buys an item, returns it, and then buys it, but in another size. So there's two orders. Um, and this was reduced by 18%. Another big sports brand that uh, we partner with, so the size sampling behavior reduced by anywhere between 30 to 50%. So that's something that has a real impact. Um, now, another great way that our, our retail partners have used to look at size and fit related returns is by using our fit um, analytics dashboard. So with this, they have the possibility to view each style and assess its fit based on an industry benchmark. And this allows the retailers two things. One, they can proactively identify fit issues. So have they changed their manufacturing, their design, just how do their products fit? And two, if they have already identified products with a high return rate, they can check whether those products have a fit issue. Let's take an example. You have a specific jumper that has been returned a lot and it can be fitting loose, maybe it's fitting small, or actually maybe you see that it's fitting true to size, which can then lead to further investigations. Was there a problem with how the item was represented? Is the design meeting the shopper's expectations? I really like that example of AI because there seems to be an obsession with AI in the industry and not always an understanding of practical use cases. And that's a really good one of detecting a behavior and interjecting and adding value. So, yeah, thanks for sharing that. Um, and I love the comment about the reason codes because you see it so much in form filling. It's, oh, God, right, I'll tick the first one. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and then your customer yeah. service team are looking at it again, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, excellent. So, it leads me on to a question. So, uh, the, one of the, 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 well, I guess the primary uh, USP for, for TrueFit is the fashion genome, which is your, your proprietary data set. I'd love you to just explain to our listeners, you know, what it took them through, what it is, how you collect the data, and how does it add value above and beyond what a retailer's own product data would be? Yeah, sure. So our products are powered by, as you say, the, the fashion genome. Um, and the fashion genome is, um, as I referenced before, it's this global data set um, of over 15 years of um, sort of absorbing historical sales and returns data, transacting on over $200 billion worth of returns um, and seeing the patterns, therefore. Uh, we know retailers and brands have a plethora of data sitting in their ecosystems, 
But the challenge is being able to connect the disparate pieces of data together so that you can make smarter decisions or personalized experiences based on that data. So from my experience, you know, you can have um, a business where part of the data is held within buying uh, merchandising, part of the data is held within e-com or digital marketing. And in order to get a true view and that one point of view, sometimes it's it's hard to do it in real time. And sometimes it's extremely manual if you have to connect these three parts together. Often the teams, you know, don't have the time or the resources to manually collect, connect those data sources. So that's where we come in together with our um, brand and retailer community, we've built the industry's um, largest um, data set. It's not that retailers lack data. The problem is just that it's um, it's split around different parts of the business. The power of our data set is that it's really connected um, and not just within retailers, but across the entire industry. And the fashion genome is made up of three types of data. So consumer profiles from shoppers who sign up with TrueFit, um, connected product data from our 17,000 brand partners and retailers from uh, specifications, size charts, uh, fit model measurements, et cetera. And from our attribution process um, that attributes over 6 million of styles. And lastly, transaction history, sales and returns from our TrueFit retailers. From this, we're able to create normalized size recommendations, which help the shoppers navigate the inconsistent sizes across brands, but also sometimes within brands. That is also the challenge. You can have certain retailers who, dependent on where their item is manufactured, the item, um, the size consistency will not be the same across tops. Um, and, you know, that is an industry, that is an issue the industry has known about four years. Um, and that is an, in, uh, an issue that before the, the real shift in, um, in online really happened last year, retailers were able to muddle through because it was all done in the changing room on the shop floor in, um, you know, in that uh, with, the, with sales assistance. So what we've what's happened is that this has really shone a light on the issues because of the um, split from a, a revenue contribution coming mainly from digital. You have CFOs and finance departments who are like, we need to sort this problem out because it's causing issues. Don't just put, you know, a plaster on a broken leg. Sort out the source root of the issue and then everything else will start to flow as well. Yeah, I've got a sub question to that. Is anybody using this in an omni-channel environment where they're using like in-store tech to, to do curated shopping experiences? So I don't have to come in and pick four items off a rail and try on and see which one fits. You're helping me to automatically refine and say I'm a medium in this. Brilliant. You've helped me make a decision in-store. Yeah, I mean, we, we've been working with certain brands in the US around clienteling, um, which was, you know, very much driven from the need from the, the in-store um, shop assistants to um, to try and connect back with their previous in-store shopper and loyal shopper. Um, so that has, um, you know, from a size consistency, we've really been able to support that physical um, in-store sales assistance through no fitting room, no problem is what we sort of um, tagged it as. Um, the challenge can can come if you have omni-channel brands where you have a shopper who buys online 
And then she returns in store. And those, again, those data sets are not connected. So it's a really complex, it's a real rabbit hole of a subject. If You know, it it needs a lot of um, unpicking. But ultimately, there is a way of, you know, of helping to resolve the headache. And that is to go to source and sort out the sizing issues um, at the point at which you can control. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And obviously, fashion is 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 the it's your stronghold. Do yeah. you work in any other uh, product sets? Because I always think about that. shoes is a classic one for me, where I have a nightmare picking out shoes. I might be a nine, nine and a half, ten. So buying online becomes a real challenge, and I'm rubbish at. Uh, I'm not the uh, the person who buys three and sends two back. I'm too yeah. lazy, so <laughs> I'll go to a store. So do you, is Truefit working in other product areas as well? For sure. And James, let us be your solution. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, we work, fashion obviously is a big part of that because of um, the, the the various silhouettes and the ch- trends and the seasonal changes, particularly with women's um, fashion. But, you know, it's anything essentially that requires guidance from a sizing perspective is our sweet spot. So it's also sports, performance, footwear, um, hats, no, belts, no. Um, jewelry, no. Uh, but everything else come to us. That makes sense. And um, and how are Truefit? You mentioned personalization a few times. How are Truefit allowing brands to personalize the kind of experience online? Like what what are some of the use cases for the personalization? So we, we can take the example of the N Brown Group and N7 for Mankind. Um, both have partnered with Truefit. So N Brown across its portfolio fashion brands. So JD Williams, Simply B, Jack Hamo, and the others. Um, so they've partnered with us to improve their customer experience by serving personalized size and fit recommendations. And both have seen that Truefit users check out on average three times more than those who don't use the technology. Um, and in addition to that, the insights that they can get from the Truefit data allows them to gain a better understanding of their customers, which ultimately allows them to better serve them. Yeah, and also, you know, as a result, businesses saw that Truefit, as I said before, shoppers uh, and users on average check out um, three times more than those that don't adopt or take a sizing recommendation. So, yeah, we we do kind of create um average shoppers and convert them to um to uber shoppers um and then moving on to the integration so i've seen different levels of integration of truefit where some brands kind of cookie the user and push the size based on their recommendation across the whole site um, and then i've seen examples where it's just the overlay what does the average implementation timeline look like and what level of resource is needed so Because our product is based on a one-to-one personalization versus peer-to-peer personalization or generalization, this naturally impacts the implementation lead time. Um, Our implementation, standard implementation, takes about eight weeks, and it requires retailers to share their catalog, sales, and return speed, and to add the Truefit code on the PDP, so with some dev resources. Um, However... We are currently working on a new way of integrating without sending the sales and returns feed, and that will bring the implementation timeline down significantly. 
That makes sense. And um, and in terms of that front end piece, how flexible um, is the kind of templating? Like, do a lot of people um, kind of put more effort into styling and really kind of like um, ensure it's in line with the brand? Has anyone done anything particularly creative? Yeah, so, I mean, you, you've got both options. Both are available. You have one standard integration using our default design, which is faster and easier to implement. Um, but we also have the option for retailers to implement via a registration API. And this really gives them complete control over the design. They can shape it the way they like. They are free to make the changes they see fit post live as well. So both of those options are available in terms of of design. Now, in terms of flow, because we do require certain pieces of information from users to be able to provide them with those personalized recommendations, it's not as flexible. Um, But we constantly challenge ourselves to make sure we have the best user experience possible. We A-B test different functionalities and different design um, to make sure that we constantly improve the product. One of the, I've worked with a few businesses who've implemented it. I've worked with others who've looked at it and then decided not to. And normally it comes down to either prioritization or cost because every business is scrambling around for where it puts its money. So business case is always a challenge here. What, what advice have you got for retailers, you know, regardless of whether they choose a tool like Truefit or trying to fix their, just generally trying to fix returns, how can they create a business case for investing in this area? How can they really identify the true cost and impact of returns? You know, I think um, that's a really good question. Returns is, as I said, it's a bit of a rabbit hole subject. Sometimes you have to ask yourself, what is the cost of not implementing? So, i.e. your loss of uh, margin from an operational profitability perspective, uh, your loss of really aligning your inventory through lack of real data to where your sizing ratio truly is from your customer's perspective. Um, And therefore, you're skewing your ability to sell at full price. I just feel that it's no longer... Um, a nice to have. It is an essential part from not only a business health and profitability perspective and efficiency perspective, there's also um, an element of responsibility from an environmental perspective. The impact of returns, the impact of stock that has to get written off because it can't go back into the supply chain, particularly when we're looking at um, the um, the more fast fashion element of which I'm not you know passing any judgment on it's just a fact that you know there is this issue that the industry has to tighten up and I don't feel that the industry can pass it on someone else's problem um, and that's why I get really passionate and really frustrated because we have the solutions. Um, available. So what is it down to? Fine. Is it down to cost? Well, then are you really, you know, is it about penny rich, pound poor? Are you really looking at the right KPI? Um, Do you really have a handle of the the true impact to your business from a, a poor returns, a poor size and fit issue? It is a responsibility that the industry has got to face into and has got to start making changes to and not leaving it to the customer to solve for. Rant over. <laughs> Official rant on re-platform yes. effort. Um, yeah, uh, the efficiency one is, is a really important one for me because one of the hidden costs that I talk to a few businesses about is, okay, great, 
you, you, you've you got obviously stock coming back in that you haven't sold and you've got refunds, but you've also got lost time in a warehouse that could be spent on picking and packing income-based orders. So the more you take those people out of adding value, yeah. um, that cost needs to be factored in as well. Sure. I think that's what you know, that's the thing is, is truly understanding the impact. But the environmental one, I think that's a really good point as well. You've got a lot of uh, modern fast growth DTC brands, the likes of the Pangaeas, Everlanes out there who are trading off their environmental credentials and they are getting a lot of traction because people, especially the younger generations, not exclusively younger, but they, they are more motivated by those elements. For sure. And they expect the brands to be authentic and live through to um, the core message and their, their principles and, and their mi- mission. I know Pangaea, I love the founders. I love the purpose and the mission. Um, and uh, and I think that uh, the, the target audience really sees through that whole greenwashing. Um, yeah. And there is backlash if, you know, uh, the behaviours do not match their PR publicised mission statements. Yeah, there's been a few high-profile ones on like M&S with their bees. That 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 had a lot of social backlash. Yeah. Um, this leads me on to, uh, conveniently leads me into to the final question we've got for you, which is an exciting one. It's, uh, it's where where do you see e-commerce returns heading? What, what are the key trends that people need to look out on? What are the key things that businesses need to be thinking about in 2021 and beyond? Yeah. So, you know, I think um, retailers need to be agile and reactive, firstly, to their customers' needs. The customer is now the disruptor to the industry. Um, we're going to start seeing stronger expectations from a, a personalized experience from the customer. And I'm not just talking here about size and fit. I'm talking about the general um, product listing pages where you go onto uh, a platform and you are met with thousands of options. Um, we know that there are capabilities through the data um, data feeds to understand and group your customers into segments. And, um, you know, in terms of even, you know, a great one that I've always thought was locational, um, but make my experience different to that of Asterix. Um, and, you know, there are basic needs that customers really expect now. And this is where the data and strong customer insights is super essential. Um, Also, you know, let's not forget, it's not just retail that the customer uh, touches on from a digital perspective. The customer is um, being touched from digital for everything, be it Insta, TikTok, the TV you choose to, to watch, um, your order, you know, for uh, um, through delivery, whatever it is. Um, and so, you know, what might have been considered the nice to haves in terms of the customer experience are now the expected. Also, gaming is really going to change the level and the sophistication that the customer expects from an AR perspective. Um, so that's also one to watch. I've seen some techs, some technologies where you create avatars and it's it's kind of woefully um, sort of inferior to to what the, the customer is used to when they're gaming. I'm not a gamer, but, you know, my son is and I see it and I'm like, holy cow, you know, that's, that's kind of scary. Um, many customers are not going to return to the in-store experience. Specifically, those will be um, the 40 plus. Um, you know, the and the 50 plus and 60 plus, those are real adopters now from a digital perspective. They're going to choose to spend their time 
on wellness, on family and on experiences. So be ready for that. So understand what is each of your channels there to deliver. Don't just kind of like, you know, um, just assume it's the same thing uh, in store as online. It's not. In store is about um, experience. Online is about convenience. Um, There will be a demographic shift that's going to relish the in-store experience, um, but they're going to expect this to be immersive. They're not going to expect it to be flat. They're going to expect something, um, you know, that's going to give them an additional reason to go to the store with their friends for that sort of um, for that in-store experience. So there are many exciting things. And this is why I love retail. And it brings me back to my first point. You know, we have to stay in line with the customer's expectations. And that in, that means that we have to be agile and reactive to our customers' needs. We have to understand what they are. Um, and we have to make sure that we're in line with that and we don't sort of we don't lose our customer to another sort of another brand because there's you know it's a little bit more exciting and engaging than our own. Fantastic. Here's here's a random question for you. Do you ever foresee the point where where um brands will, will repurpose um smaller stores to simply be a returns and collection point and nothing more? So to to focus on that service element rather than a sales element. Yeah, you know, I think we have to consider all to all options. There is a reality to the historical footprint of the high street. Um, and, you know, what we have now is a, a surplus of, um, of, um, of shop floor, essentially. But uh, not all of those need to be uh, just to collect and drop off. Some of those can be more experiential um, and also more relevant to your local community. I think what's really sort of positive and exciting is that local towns are seeing a surge um, and new shoppers from their local community coming and engaging with them. It's the high, it's the large city uh, shopping complex and um, high streets that are really challenged here. If you imagine like five years ago, that was absolutely the reverse. Um, so look at, um, there's going to be have to be a lot of readjustment of um, a retailer's uh, historical leasing and, and square footage on their books from an affordability perspective. Um, so yeah, it's a really complex and it's not by any means blanket solution. I remember working with the government a few years ago on the high street transformational plan. It's re- it's it's a rabbit hole and a half. Um, but let's put ourselves in the shoes of the shoppers. Let's think like shoppers and not like retailers. It's when we think like retailers that the experience becomes bland and we forget about what really, you know, as in an industry, we're there to delight and excite and bring something positive. It's about retail therapy. Um, so let's kind of think, you know, in the, let's listen more to the customer. They're right. Excellent. It's a call to arms at the end. I like that. Nice, nice positive message to go right. out. Right. <laughs> Excellent. You dropped the mic again. Yeah. Um, that, that's, we really enjoyed that. Really, really uh, interesting discussion. Some great practical tips. So, uh, Sarah Astrid, thanks so much for joining us today. Pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you for asking. Um, uh, and yeah, and thanks to the listeners, as always, for tuning in. I hope you found that useful as well. Um, and uh, Sarah and Astrid, if anyone's got any more questions, either you know, just general 
uh, uh, kind of brainstorming or they want to learn specifics about TrueFit, how it might work for their business or what the costs might be, who do they reach out to and how? It's a very good question. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Uh, come to us via our platform, truefit.com. Um, okay. Wonderful. Uh, and for everyone listening, um, tell other people if you think it's going to be of interest. We obviously want to get the more uh, people listening, the better. If you haven't subscribed, please do. And we'd love a rating in, in Apple or Spotify. Or it helps uh, with our, our podcast visibility. And tune again next week. Thank you very much. For more information on this topic, head over to replatform.fm for our audio podcasts. To discuss a project, or if you'd like to chat about any of the topics covered in this episode in more detail, please reach out to myself, James Gerd, or my co-host, Paul Rogers, via LinkedIn and Twitter. Thanks again for listening, and keep your ears peeled for the next episode.